Annyeonghaseyo. Welcome to Afternoona Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare wrecks for good measure, because why not ride the haul you wave all the way to shore? So grab some duck bokeh and listen to your new favorite unease. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Hi there. <laughs> I feel like we have to start with a hey, everybody, even though it's not Leah saying hey, everybody. So welcome, everybody. This is the Afternoon of Delight podcast, but we are short one of our regular members tonight because Leah is, she called in sick tonight. She called in sick. She's sick. Her kids Slacker. are sick. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Take a sick day if you need yes. it, people. That's the lesson Absolutely. here. Absolutely. Self-care. Even from your podcast. <laughs> So Leah has the night off, and we hope that she feels better soon. We hope that her kids feel better soon, because they got all kinds of stuff going around the Leah household. So we'll miss her tonight, but luckily, we've got somebody new with us tonight. I will introduce our guest. The three of us sometimes agree and sometimes disagree on elements of K-dramas we discuss, but one thing we all have in common is that we are authors. We started this podcast wanting to discuss dramas as writers, and particularly romance writers, which has its own conventions that we often see mirrored in K-dramas. And of course, we aren't the only authors who love K-dramas. This last November, I attended a virtual author conference called Romance Author Mastermind, or RAM, and shout out to RAM because it's amazing. And one of the workshops caught my eye immediately best-selling author Piper J. Drake was going to be talking about how K-dramas are really great influences in storytelling. And I was seriously devastated that I could not attend the workshop as I was hosting one of my own at the exact same time. And I whined about it for a while to like anyone who would to listen. Us, and for my sure. Co-host. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Until a light bulb went off in my head and I was like, hey, I have a K-drama podcast so I can have Piper on. And so I'm so happy she accepted and that is why we are so excited to have Piper J. Drake as a guest today on the podcast to discuss K-dramas with supernatural elements. So, Yay! Welcome, Piper. <laughs> so, Piper, please introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them about your books. Oh, gosh. Okay. So, hi, everybody. My name is Piper <laughs> J. Drake, and I'm an author of romance, of science fiction, of fantasy. I cross genre a lot. Um, and I have a huge love of food and travel and so many Asian dramas, not just K-dramas, but I'm really big into Chinese dramas and Thai dramas. I myself am uh, from Thailand and my mom still lives in Thailand. So Piper Mommy is constantly texting me with the latest <laughs> and greatest that she's been watching of not just Thai dramas, but also K-dramas, uh, Chinese dramas, dramas from Taiwan, Malaysia. Myanmar, <laughs> like sometimes. Um, so I just, I have so much love for the Asian dramas. And no matter what genre I'm personally writing, I try to give you a taste of hard challenges in life, but like relieve that with a happy breath of laughter and a broad range of strengths and weaknesses throughout the characters. I'm really into the competence porn. And like, just, I love first kisses, which is something that we really preserve in Asian dramas, like that moment and the heat of excitement, like you can get so much intensity in a K-drama from just like the shoulder bump. 
or like the brush of fingertips and that first kiss by the time a first kiss happens you're falling off the couch freaking out like it happened it happened it happened and and so that's generally what i try to capture in my books as well as is all of those like all the feels quality like all of that swing of feels and i guess also the dog lives in my books always that's my promise to my readers um, pretty well known for my two hero series which features military working dogs and um also i've got uh, working dogs in a lot of my sci-fi as well. Uh, so yes, the dog lives always. And so do the cats, the ferrets, if it's furry, also feathered. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, the animals live. Humans, ah, body cat habits. <laughs> we don't care about the humans. <laughs> we I just mean, want the dog to live. <laughs> right? Like, that's the promise. <laughs> I did one time read a romance book where the heroine had, like, a bunch of chickens. And these weren't just, like chickens that she named them they had personalities in the so they book. were family yeah they were they were family they were pets all the chickens died no and then the dog what? died in a oh no in, a, in, a in one book. book in one book I swear i'm to God. sorry i would have had to walk away from that story like oh. i get that there's a romantic arc and everything no. but like <laughs> do not sacrifice the chickens friends chickens and a dog i closed the book and well it was ebook i closed out the ebook and i was like and i made a note of the author like I don't know if you're an author who's listening and you killed chickens and a dog. I'm sorry. I couldn't handle your book. But I don't. <laughs> it's just don't kill chickens and a dog, though. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, I have a chicken story that, that tells you my Piper personality right from the get go. Right. OK. So I used to spend my summers in Thailand with my grandparents every couple of summers. And I went to school here in the U.S. because I was born here in the U.S. So it was like very much growing up in, in two different cultures. And, um, you know. I, I was known in Thailand amongst my family as a very quirky child. And they weren't sure how much of it was because I was raised in the U.S. and how much of it was just me being a quirky child. <laughs> and um, I was a very much like an animal whisperer, right? Like they always had to pat me down before coming to the house because I always had pockets full of like baby chicks or geckos and, oh. and stuff like that. So they were just patting me down before I came into the house because they didn't want them in the house. So when we would be making chicken curry that night for dinner, my grandma would send me out to go get a, a chicken. Right, because I was also, while being an animal lover, cognizant that we also ate them. Like, mm -hmm. I knew where chicken came from in the store. Like, you know, and so I was the fastest in the house at catching a chicken. So around the 10-minute mark, you know, my, my cousins are like, where'd she go? She's so fast. She can catch a chicken in, like, two minutes. So what's going on here? And she was like, don't worry. She'll be back in a couple minutes. And it was because I would take the chicken that I caught and I would trot down to the market down the road. And we're talking like this is a village, so dirt road, right? Like down to the market and trade it for a chicken I didn't know. Oh my because, <laughs> like, I am and not I against eating know. the chicken, but I needed to, like, it had to be a chicken I didn't know. <laughs> right? And the village thought I was so quirky. They were always laughing at my dad about this, right? And so they tried to, like, two days later, I was bit back again with another chicken. And I'm like, you know, 10. And so they tried to trade back the chicken that I had traded the two days before. I'm like, no, I recognize this chicken. You can't give me back this chicken because we're going to eat it. Like, there's a reason I traded this chicken. Like, you cannot, like, that's a terrible thing to do to a child to try to swap in a chicken again that they do know. Like, the right. whole point was that I, as a child, was like, I am, I'm at peace with the fact that I love animals, but I also eat animals. Right. And so my thing was, I, I need to not know it. Like, it cannot I be named. I story. I yeah. couldn't, I couldn't feed it, mm -hmm. right? Like, I had, you know, <laughs> I and I, it, right. 
Like, I couldn't have been the one to feed it and cuddle it and hug it and love it. Like, no. Like, so, and I'm, I'm very much a carnivore, right? Like, I do enjoy a variety of, of protein that runs away from you when you go after it. Right? Like, or swims away from you or hops away from you. Like, right? Like, so that, that was my childhood into adulthood thing is, like, I can't know zombie apocalypse all right fine like i am a survivor right but like in 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 today's level of entitlement and privilege i don't want to know the animal that i'm about to eat so if you're gonna kill your chickens chickens can be really sweet like i have a i I have a friend who like creates chicken saddles to protect her hens oh my gosh have you ever seen seen a chicken saddle i have seen those (laughs) i my favorite is when they put the pants on the chicken the pants on the seen? chicken are a little different. Like, I get it. Oh, my gosh, but the chicken yeah. saddles are, like, a real issue when you have yeah. a rooster that's a little too rough. Or if the hen likes it a little too rough, right? Like, she needs a saddle to protect her. Leah has chickens. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Leah does have chickens. I write cowboy romance, and I have a chicken that runs through a series, and she's a psychic chicken. Like, she consents when two people are meant to be together. Wait, which one? My first cowboy series. Oh, that is the yeah. cutest thing. You never told me that. She is an aunt and, like... Long story, but she's like an aunt in the first series, and in the second series, she gets her own book, and the psychic chicken is part of that book, too. Oh, I thought All you right. meant the psychic chicken got no, 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 the aunt who owns the psychic chicken, but the chicken is... Okay, maybe a novella is the chicken. <laughs> the chicken, the chicken does need her own story by this, po- by this point, yes. So, Piper, can you tell us a little bit about kind of your, like, K-drama or Asian drama watching journey, and kind of, like, what was your first K-drama? Okay, so... I, in my day job, I'm a subject matter expert for regulatory affairs in pharmaceutical research and development in life sciences. Um, and I was working for an IT company as a consultant when I first headed over into the world of consulting versus working for pharma. And um, it was an IT company that developed applications for life sciences and it was Korean owned. I mean, all of the executive positions were taken up by Korean because they were um, Korean Americans because they had been the ones that had started the company together. And a lot of the admin group was also Korean uh, or Korean American. And I remember when I had started the company uh, as a consultant, I traveled like 80% of my time, but I popped into the office pretty often. And usually when I did, somebody would take me under their wing and take me out to lunch. And I'd end up in like, this hole-in-the-wall Sundubu place, having Sundubu Jigae, which they never took a lot of the other uh, my other colleagues to because that wasn't the kind of food that they preferred, so they asked to be taken someplace else for lunch. But I remember during those times, there'd be K-dramas up on the television as we were, you know, having our Sundubu Jigae, and I, we'd have a raw egg, and we'd crack it in there, and it's like, yay, and you don't really do that at restaurants, but we did. <laughs> and um, I remember the first one that I really got hooked on was, um, I can't, it was either Coffee Prince or Palace, which is also called Princess Hours. And Coffee Prince in particular was kind of saucy, speaking of like saucy stuff, because they had like up till then kisses were pretty chaste, right? In K-dramas, because this is like 2005, 2006. So they were still pretty conservative and very, very chaste about their kisses. And um, but Coffee Prince was literally like a kiss slam back into a door, wrap the legs (laughs) around the waist, kissing. And I was like, that's one of my favorite scenes ever, ever. Oh, my gosh. And then, you know, Princess Hours or Palace was it was so it drew me in so much. Like the next time I would come into the office, like the admins would be like, what do you think? And I'd be wrecked. I just spent an hour in there like going nuts over this drama because I was wrecked and 
I mean, that was an emotional roller coaster, Princess Hours. And honestly, I'm conflicted because there was a lot of, like, the hero treated the heroine really terribly. You know, and, and I have the same problem with Hana Yori Dango, uh, Boys Over Flowers. Oh, yeah. Which the, you know, <laughs> yeah. We, that is so popular. It was originally a Japanese manga, mm-hmm. and it got made into a Japanese drama, a J-drama, a K-drama in Korea, Taiwan, and now there's a Thai release that came out this pa- in this past year. Like, this thing keeps getting reiterated because it's so popular, mm-hmm. but that one is not particularly for me that storyline because again the hero is so terrible Mm -hmm. to the heroine like i don't like it when any of the participants in the main core romance are terrible to each other right like it's it's one thing to have one scene where somebody makes a mistake and lashes out but Mm -hmm. when they're just a terrible terrible personality and i'm gonna love you anyway and then you're gonna come to cherish me I just, it depends on how long it's going to last because I can't stick with it for as long as it went on. And that was one of the problems for me when it came to Palace or Princess Hours because it went on and on and on, right? Yeah. Like, ouch. And and yeah. that's the same thing with Boys Over Flowers for me. It's like, that went on for a while. Yeah, I watched the Chinese remake of Boys Over Flowers, which is called Meteor Garden. Yeah. And <laughs> so Amy and Leah saw... Boys Over Flowers, the one with, like, Lee Min-ho, okay, the, the yes. K-drama. Um, I haven't seen it, but, I mean, I would say, like, Meteor Garden was just, I mean, it's it's batshit. And it was, like, 46 episodes, and it consumed my life for two weeks. Like, I couldn't stop watching it, but it was, like, had every trope under the sun. Like, I'm talking, like, yeah. like amnesia. Yep. Just, I, I, I can't even think of them all, because it's just every single one you can imagine. And I was addicted to it, but when I was done, I was like... <laughs> That wasn't, that was actually kind of terrible. Like, that was a like very toxic relationship. Toxic, thank you. <laughs> it was a super toxic It was one of those things. So, like, Lee and I talked about it because we did, an, we did a, an episode comparing Boys Over Flowers and Heirs or Inheritors. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh, Heirs. Yes. Ah. <laughs> we were comparing those and we were talking about how you can say to yourself, yes, I know this is problematic. And still, and you can still, and still enjoy it. it because you know it's problematic, and you know that this would never be okay in real life. And it's that sort of, you know, like the bully fantasy, right? Like that's, you know, it's yeah. the little bit of, you know, sort of butter in that. If we're talking about, you know, yeah, no, I get it. And and I would say that Hana Yoridango is just a little too it's, long. Yeah, for me. but it, it goes is, on a little too much. Yeah, it was not. It was not good. It was. It was very hard to watch. It was definitely hard to watch. Yeah. but it was yeah. also. I had already. I had already fallen in love with Lee Min Ho at that point from watching. So you yes, already in. I, we watched we watched The King Eternal Monarch, and then we went back and watched Boys Over Flowers. And so it was really uh, it was you know in my head I'm like you're Ligon the King, you're not this guy, you're, <laughs> you're, 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 yeah. you're not Gujumpio, you're not Gujumpio, you know, <laughs> you're in your navy yes. uniform making yes. rice, you're the king, <laughs> you're not this perm. I do understand the love for it, even though it is problematic. Yeah, you got to give the nod to how how compelling yes. it is. Like, yes, you got to binge it, it. It's compelling. Once you start watching it, you yes. do have to binge it. Like that's why I've been avoiding the Thai drama one. My mom keeps texting me like Piper Mommy's like, "Have you watched it yet?" I'm like, "No, I can't. I just I'm not in the right place. I can't do it." So, can you tell us your top 3 dramas or you can tell us your top 5, whatever. But also uh, uh like I know it's hard, but also like kind of like your favorite tropes. Okay. So, 
I have a couple from a couple of different countries for you. Great. In terms of K-drama, I will say that what I have noticed is that the first one that I have thought of to gush over every time I talk K-dramas to anybody, it keeps coming back to Hotel Della Luna. And I think a part of that reason why, even though I'm normally someone who gravitates towards stronger heroes and like your alpha heroes, your grumpy, incredibly strong alpha hero, Hotel Del Luna features centrally around a woman who is your supernatural element, right? Like she's lived for centuries and she kind of, she exists on spite and revenge. <laughs> and it's a, she's so filled with it that they make her the proprietress of this hotel. And, and the whole point of the hotel is when people die and have unfinished business, they come and they stay at this hotel until they've been facilitated to finish their business before moving on. And she herself is such a level of contradictions that I love that. And the trope of having somebody who's prickly, who seems shallow, but it turns out they're ne- they're really not. They're really insightful and they really care in their own quiet way. But at the same time, they're still going to hustle and get, you know, benefit for herself and the hotel was like this mix of complexity that I found really refreshing as opposed to somebody who is just intrinsically all good. Mm-hmm. Right. Like she wasn't a supernatural that was all good. No, no, no. She was materialistic. Right. <laughs> and and sometimes she didn't have time for the petty little things or the petty kind things. But what you found out was that ultimately she saw through a lot of twisty, turny things. Like every episode is this thing where you're first presented with thing, people and things and, and scenarios and you think it's one way and it turns out no, no, no. It is almost in a horror perspective, completely the opposite. And in a lot of times there are dangerous people who, where no one is the clear bad guy. No one's the clear evil. They do escalate to a point where they do meet somebody who is clearly a, an evil person, but like there's just the, that level of complexity of like, these are tough situations. And what you have to realize is what you thought was happening isn't. And I love that aspect of Hotel Del Luna. I love IU. I I do enjoy her music too, but I love her in that role because she's so complex and she's not innocent. And I don't think a person who would have been a proprietress of that hotel could be innocent because they had to have insight and they had to be jaded and they had to know and accept the flaws that people, because everybody who's walking in is also appearance wise horrific because of the death that they suffered for whatever reason. And I loved that. I also loved that the hero and and potential love interest was more of a beta male character. He was somebody who wasn't as strong as her, but the strength of his faith and his and his conviction that she would do the right thing made her do the right thing. That was something that I found really drew me in about Hotel de Luna. He would look at her and he's like, I know that you did this terrible thing, but I also know that you're going to protect me. And so he put himself in harm's way, knowing he didn't have the power to save his own darn self because he had the faith and conviction that she'd do the right thing. And I just, that was really compelling to me. So I really loved Hotel de Luna for that. And there's a dog. Oh, no. <laughs> that lives. That lives. No, no. kind of, sort of. The oh, dog God. goes to heaven, all right? In this situation oh. with Hotel de Luna and stories like this, just know that all dogs go to heaven. <laughs> there's there's a dog and goblin. That dog goes to freaking heaven. I will tell you right? that. I cried. Oh a my lot. gosh! I love. I, I mean, it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a spoiler, right? But just yeah, know okay. when you see the dog, he's given okay. a choice and he makes his own choice, 
and all dogs go to heaven. That's great. That's that's all you got to know about that episode. Just stick with me. (laughs) So yeah, so Hotel Del Luna is my fave for all of those complex reasons, right? I would say my next one would be Falling Into Your Smile. So Falling Into Your Smile is a Chinese drama, and I love it because it's esports. In particular, it's a MOBA that is very similar to League of Legends, and I play League of Legends. It's actually an existing MOBA in that's very popular in East Asia. Um, and the idea here is that our heroine is the first pro-female esports player. And she's brought onto a team, and she is the top mid-lane player. And so it's a lot of fun because I really enjoy that you have a very competent heroine. And one of the first things they do is they establish her confidence and they establish her skills and then they, they wreck her and then they bring her back. And it's because the team understands her and the team captain understands her and they bring her back because she's in a higher level of performance now that she's in the pro league, right? So you have to have a hero that kind of goes through that journey where they're, they, they fail a little bit before they can like start to grow and succeed again. And um, it's a sweet romance that's a slow burn because like you have the grumpy versus sunshine, you have the really tall, super, like they call them godlike players, right? Because they're that good and they're known to be that good. And, you know, they're held on a pedestal. And, and I love the trope of like your grumpy, your grumpy versus sunshine. And there's this really cute overall like recurring theme of comparing her to a bunny. There's even a point where she's like trying to decide whether or not she's going to wear sexy underwear or she's going to wear cute underwear. <laughs> and her cute underwear happens to be one that has like a bunny print where a bunny's holding a carrot. And there's that there's one of those classic moments where he walks in and accidentally sees and then like walks out and like <laughs> and then she's like, you saw and he's like, I did. I'm sorry. Right. Like he immediately apologizes. OK. Aww. And then later, like they're using chat and he's replaced her um, avatar in his phone with a bunny holding a carrot and everybody's like who's this he's like and he won't tell anybody who it is and she's like you need to take that down and he's like who else is gonna know <laughs> like who else are you showing your underwear to and like so there's like these fun little moments that way through this whole story as they're also competitive esports and you get to meet these other teams and these other personalities so it's so much fun for that this is one of the ones that has a really healthy bestie relationship she has a kick-ass bestie she has an amazing bestie who is supportive, who's her own personality. Best trope ever when you have a really strong female bestie, best friend situation, and not like pitting all of the females against each other, which is also something that's still common in a lot of stories that I'm not really here for. I want to write more besties into my own story after watching this this drama. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And then I think that if I had to name a third, Boyfriend is super cute. My mom, Piper Mommy sent me this wreck and it's not on Vicky, Rakuten Vicky or Netflix. You're going to have to YouTube search for it. There are English subtitles on YouTube for it. But basically what we have here is your host club scenario. We have a fairly innocent, immature young woman who's in college who wants to date and she tries to ask a guy out to date. And he says, I'm really looking for someone who's a little bit more understanding of what an adult romantic relationship is. And so she ends up with this pamphlet or flyer for this company called Boy for Rent. And she asks them to set her up with an escort who can teach her about adult romance and how to love like an adult. 
Meanwhile, there's another girl who is much more worldly, whose boyfriend is cheating on her, she finds out. So she wants a guy, uh, an escort, who can make her forget about her boyfriend. And the, the reason why these two girls meet is because they end up grabbing the same flyer and end up having to tear it in half to go to the club. And so they both rent these guys from Boy for Rent for their own goals, and they go through the storyline. But the twist is girl A, who needs to learn about adult love, her escort is actually the boyfriend of girl B, who's trying to forget about him. And the guy who's with girl B is actually the boy that girl A had originally asked out on a date and who told her that she needed to learn how to love like an adult before he considered dating her. It's a really fun one. And it was just like, wow, this one's cute. What inspired you to create your workshop about storytelling and K-dramas and kind of like, what was the response of the attendees and all of that? Yeah, so I was actually invited to lead a roundtable discussion, which is shorter than your normal workshop or panel at Romance Author Mastermind in 2021. And they originally invited me to speak on the topic using K-dramas to maximize your story, which is a really catchy title. And, and they had already had the topic and they wanted me to talk on it. And they were super open to suggestions for me. So I asked if we could expand the scope to talk about Asian dramas and not just K-dramas because there's so many good ones across the various regions. And um, I also wanted to adjust and frame the discussion as K-drama inspirations to maximize your story rather than using K-dramas. Because I think I've seen a little bit out there where it's hot takes where you're going to use the story structure from this country or use the storytelling style from this country. And there's a difference in intent when you say, I'm going to use that thing from that country versus, wow, I really love how they do this. And I'm inspired by that to write my own stories. So I did... I was very, very um, intentional about changing the tone of the topic title because of that. And um, it's one of the things that I do when I teach for writing the other. Even the phrasing of your topic when you present it will set the tone for whether it's going to turn into appropriation, which we want Mm -hmm. to avoid, or whether we want to just share in the joy of admiring and loving these things from other places and wanting to understand them more and also be inspired to write stories that incorporate those elements that we've learned from them. Right. So that was one of the things that I had wanted to do for that. And I was excited to do that. And I hope I did a good job for Ram. And some of the things that I talked about when it came to Asian dramas was doing a quick intro for anybody who didn't know what they were. Um, And then let's talk about like why we love them. And a lot of it had to do with like these really addictive elements decay dramas. So I call them out in my workshop in like the handout. Um, and it's the style of storytelling. One of the things that's different from a lot of series that you have here in the U.S. is a lot of series that you have here in the U.S. We're always looking to see if they're going to get renewed for another season. Like Supernatural went for how many seasons? So, but the fact is that you can tell that the storytelling in the U.S. for these types of shows and the writer's room, they have to write for a season and also not know whether they're going to be, they need to, to button it up because they're going, they're not going to get continued for a new season. Or if they do, they're like, yay, we can explore this other arc. And then sometimes it jumps the ship, right? Like you get too many arcs. Like, I'm sorry, I'm a Buffy lover, but Buffy went too long. So did The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead went a little too, too long. long. Um, you know, so... The thing about Asian dramas and the storytelling there I went into is that they are planned at 16 to 20 episodes and it is a complete arc. 
it is also one where they hit a climax at like the second to last episode and then the final episode is the denouement and you're you get whiplash with these ambiguous happy endings like whiplash like you just get this montage of everybody walking around and they're happily ever after and you're very very confused right like so that is a storytelling style and i really can't throw rocks at that because a lot of my books have like this massive climax and then my readers get whiplash because the ending just like is all downhill at an uncontrolled speed and the end <laughs> right? like, so it is that storytelling aspect and then there's also these precious moments and these are moments that my partner matthew has to get up and walk out of. He's like, I cannot believe they're going to stop and watch this kiss from six different, seven different camera angles. <laughs> plus a drone must have been around too. <laughs> like, yes, it's so true. And like, and it's not just the kisses, right? Like you'll see a crash into you moment. And that's like mm-hmm. one of my favorite moments. The first kiss, the back hug. I love the back yeah. hug. It's like 20 seconds long. And then there's the story hooks. There's always that end of the episode story hook, which I think that authors of serial writing, anybody who's in Radish or like Kindle Vela, almost all of those apps recommend that you have a story hook at the end of your chapter. It's not quite a cliffhanger, but it is definitely something where people are chomping at the bit to know what happens in the next chapter. And it's that's a whole storytelling thing you have to learn. I, I one time wrote a serial for my newsletter. And it was, I mean, that was years ago, but um, it was a really great lesson for me. Like, I actually felt like I learned a lot because I had to end, I had to end it on a cliffy or they're not even going to want to bother reading the next newsletter. Mm -hmm. And it was really fun to like find that point. Um, And I still try to try to do that, you know, in my current writing. I think it was Tiffany, Tiffany Rice, who one time said, write a chapter that's essentially like, you know, a chapter is like taking your scene from beginning to end. And so usually there's some sort of conclusion at the end of a scene. And then she said, chop the chapter in half and and end it there. Like she, she and, that, and I don't always do that. But I remember that was one of my favorite lessons I've ever heard. And sometimes mm-hmm. I do that. Sometimes I write it and I'm like, uh, there's an ending here. But like, I'm going to chop it in the middle and end my chapter there. Yeah, and that's why I call it story hooks rather than cliffhangers, right? Because I think right. a cliffhanger is a kind of story hook that you can use or technique that you can use to draw the readers to want to read the next chapter in a serial story or the next episode in a K-drama. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's only one of mo- many. Like, mm-hmm. the technique that you mentioned is also a really good way to do it. Um, and you'll see it in some TV writer, like in some episodes. And I think that some of the other ones is the promise of the kiss. The chapter closes with a phrase like, would you hit me if I kissed you? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's not a cliffhanger. That's a promise. And right. I need to know how she responds in the next day. Yeah. De- like, <laughs> hello. So true. <laughs> I, I love that. Right. So the story hook techniques are really fun. Like, I love when a K-drama ends on the kiss, right? Like, it mm-hmm. ends right there and you don't know what the reaction is afterwards. Right. And of course, you want to you, you want to find out the reaction to the kiss. Sometimes it's the sometimes it's not just the kiss. It's yeah. the reaction of the characters and everyone else to the kiss. That's so great. Yeah, like those kinds of moments are are what I would talk about when I and, and it was hard to smash that into fifteen minutes. By the way, like I had to talk fast. Fifteen minutes? They were round tables of fifteen minutes. Oh, okay, okay. Mine was um, like how to reinvent yourself because it was about how I started a pen name, and it was I was like blah 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 blah, blah like reading like super fast. It was rough. I don't. I'd like get to the end and I have like a minute left and I'm like, whew. like I'd be like sweating. It was it was quick. I would love to do a full-on workshop 
on this topic. Like, I really do think that it could. I hope someone asks you. <laughs> We're putting this out there in the world, friend. Ask your conferences. <laughs> um, and we've talked about that before, how K-dramas do inspire. I mean, I think it, us in our writing and our listeners have asked that before if it inspires us. And we're like, heck yeah. I would say for me, it just inspired me to kind of lean even more heavily into my tropes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, because that's something that K-dramas do unapologetically. It's very self-aware. You want this trope and we're going to give it to you. There's only one bed in this in the whole hotel. Yes, we will give it to you. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, recently Twitter was just going on about it. And look, the one bed thing happens. As a business traveler who travel, traveled 80% of my time for over 10 years, I'm going to tell you, the one bed thing happens more often than you think. Yeah. Did you ever see the did you ever see Fight for My Way? Because there's a really funny scene where they go to a hotel because they're like friends that have this they they start to have this like sexual tension and they like get to this hotel and they're like waiting for the woman to come like they're like we need two hotel rooms and the woman uh, like leaves to like, you know, I guess like figure out where to put them and they're both talking to to each other and they're like, there's probably I mean, they're really busy. It's probably only one room. I mean, I guess we're going to stay together. They're already, like, preparing themselves for this Oh, they're already... Well, they're, like, both kind of hoping it happens. So they're, like, in a way... Like, they're kind of talking, like, well, I guess we'll just have to deal. But you can tell they're, like, secretly hoping. And then the woman overhears them and comes back. And she's like, actually, I have so many hotel rooms. I wasn't sure where to put you. And they were all like... like, (laughs) It's a fun flip. I love Fight for My Way so much, but yeah, it's a really funny, it's a really oh, yeah. funny scene. But I'm really glad you were able to do that workshop, and I'm sad that I wasn't able to attend, but then I feel like this is even better. Because <laughs> we get more than 15 minutes of a round table, yeah. Yeah, we have way more than 15 minutes. And so this is kind of a question for all of us. Are we seeing a, like, a rise in K-drama watching among romance readers and bloggers and authors? Having started watching back when I did, I won't say that by any means that was as early as it could have been, right? Like, definitely a Japanese anime watcher, and I watched that was years and years prior. I've noticed a lot more people are mentioning that they have checked out at least one or two Asian dramas. And I think that that has a lot to do with the fact that more and more are are available on Netflix. And, And I think that that's great. I personally tend to watch my Asian dramas via Rakuten Viki because the subtitles are better. And a lot of times the subtitlers there also will give you insight into a colloquial or a slang term. I love that they do that. That Netflix often just tries to turn into a U.S. phrase. Like the choice for Netflix is to let's let's translate this the way that we would do an English dub. And so we want to say a thing in the same amount of time that hits kind of the same way, but it's an English phrase and it loses something in translation. Whereas in Vicky, they'll actually take the time to explain the thing. Like they'll explain the pun. They'll explain the slang. They'll explain the mythology a little bit. Um, And I I prefer that. So I have a tendency to watch Rakuten Vicky more than I have a tendency to watch Netflix. But I am glad that Netflix has so much out there now and i think that we're seeing just a lot more people mentioning it because it's so accessible and that was the gateway for us and there's a lot more on youtube i think i'm noticing other authors and bloggers and stuff mentioning k-dramas on social media now because i'm looking for it right like now that i'm watching it like every single day so i don't know if it's that more people are watching or that i'm just like noticing it more but i do yeah i mean netflix is a great sort of gateway to it but we've all like leah and megan and i we've all gotten subscriptions to vicky because there's stuff that we would have never found, you know, otherwise. Um, like, I think Goblin's on, Goblin's on Vicky, yeah. isn't it? And so that was, like, 
that was the second drama I watched. So it took me crash landing on you. And then I'm like, getting a Vicky subscription, <laughs> you know, <laughs> no turning back. Yeah, no. And I'm, I'm so, I'm so happy with it. But yeah, so I, yeah, I don't know if I know if more people are, are watching or if I'm just noticing it more now, but I do see it more in my, you know, news feeds and stuff. And it makes me very happy to see it. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I don't, I, it does seem to me like a lot of book bloggers I follow are starting to get into it. And it makes me so happy because then they're posting about K-dramas like mixed in with their romance books. And that just makes me happy because that means I'm hoping that the readers who follow them are then also willing to take a chance on watching um, K-dramas. And it's just so funny too, because they'll post about like one, like if I saw a couple recently started watching and then they just like descend into madness. They're just like watching K-dramas like all the it's time. It's a straight it's like, on head, like dive head first into yeah. the deep end. Like there yeah. is no just dip your toe in the waters. There's, exactly. You know, um, and I also agree that Vicky subs are so much better than Netflix. Um, one thing I prefer is that I want to know when the characters are using each other's names or when they're using honorifics as opposed to when they're called, when they're using like Hyung or Ani. Like I, you know, Hung, Hyung Yung is or it's Uni important. or Nuna. Yeah, it's Opa. important when they use those terms as opposed to names in, yes. in like Korean culture. So I want to know that. Um, so that's just me having to like pick it up, obviously, through with my ear, which, yes, I can do that. But I kind of just wish sometimes Netflix would just like put it in. Because they often just put the they just put the name. They put the name. And I'm like, but it's really imp-. like I remember when I watched Squid Game, it was like really, really important when there was uh, two characters who essentially dropped honorifics and started using Kyung. That was really, really important. And yeah. like, like my, my husband, I like had to explain it to him. I'm like, this is really important. Yeah, no, it's, it's a relationship dynamic, right? Yes. In Korean yeah. language. And it's interesting because if you watch multiple Asian dramas, like yeah. the honorifics and suffixes and prefixes in Thai language are way different and they work differently than the Korean ones do. So like in the Korean ones, oftentimes people refer to each other as their last names. This is also in Japan, right? Like they've referred to each other in last names, especially if you're watching like high school dramas. Last name, last name, last name, last name, last name. Until your friendship gets so close, you're on a first name basis. And that is a significant difference and milestone in the relationship. Thailand does go in a different route, right? Like we don't go by last name. We don't go by surnames. It's considered an intentional choice of distancing if you're using last names, right? Like everybody's on a nickname basis like i have a thai nickname like and 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 a lot of people are on first name or nickname basis right because there's such a, a communal feel of everybody is family until you're not until you're not <laughs> thai, like every, you're until you're not until you effed until, up <laughs> like, you're family and then you're shunned and then there's like the prefixes based on age of p which is older and nong and and their sibling connotations Right. Like I had um, this amazing, amazing, amazing Asian, Asian auntie who technically was old enough to be a grandma. So by Thai etiquette, I should have referred to her as grandma. But she was a ballroom dancer and she had performed in front of the king of Thailand. And she was also one of the oldest ballerinas in the world. She was amazing and she was cool and she was kick butt. And like and and she would like I called her bot, which is auntie instead and my mom tried to correct me to have her me call her grandmother and she was like no 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 she can call me ba (laughs) let's let's stick with that one we're gonna stick with auntie on this one (laughs) 
So, yeah, the, all of those prefixes and suffixes, I think that you more often get them in Rakuten Vicky for the t- yeah. subtitles. And that is so indicative of the relationships. And sometimes when you're going to stick it to somebody, that's the way that it happens because it's subtle. And you need mm-hmm. that translation to hear it or or you start to develop to hear it on your own. All right. And now it's time for our favorite segment of the podcast. It is the K-pop wreck of the week. And since Piper is a fan of K-pop, we're going to have her make her recommendation. Okay. Before I make my wreck, I have to say that my current favorite groups, because I don't consider myself really well versed in K-pop. I just do enjoy a lot of it. Um, so my current favorite groups are BTS, B2B, EXO, Blackpink, and Mamamoo. I do have a couple of favorite songs by Twice as well, but that gives you an idea of what we're working with. And actually, I'm going to be in Vegas next month for a writing week. Uh, At the same time, BTS is performing Permission to Dance concerts in Vegas, and I don't have tickets to one of the shows. So I'm going to be there, and I know that there's going to be so much BTS army walking around Vegas at that time, and I'm not actually there. I'm supposed to be there to write, right? Like inspiration wise it's gonna be amazing because i'm gonna be in vegas at the same time as bts i'm just not going to one of the concerts but that being the case i think my k-pop wreck of the week is actually going to be b2b's comeback song which is actually i think the english translation is the song b2b is a ballad group and them coming back as a as a full group now that a lot of their members have come back from the military like it's just wow like their their ballads knock it out of the park. Like I first started listening to B2P's ballads when it was um, the original soundtrack to Cinderella and the Four Nights. That's how I was introduced to B2B, and that soundtrack is amazing. So this comeback song is very recent, and I'll put it on our Spotify playlist because we have a Spotify playlist too. So that's my rec. Yay! Well, thank you. If you enjoy our podcast, you have our patrons to thank at least in part. Afternoon of Delight Patreon allows us to keep creating content for y'all to enjoy. Thank you so much to everyone who is supporting us there. And not to brag, but our Patreon community is pretty awesome. And you can join at a tier that feels good to you. Gain access to fun perks like K-drama posts, monthly Patreon-only bonus podcasts, and even a live K-drama support group on Zoom because we know firsthand what it's like to have no one to talk to about those crazy plot twists, amazing characters, and all those feelings. And look, no one should have to walk that walk alone. So learn more by visiting afternoonadelight.com. That's www.afternoonadelight.com. And hey, while you're on the website, you can check out Afternoon Delight podcast merch, find links to book recommendations, bop along to our K-pop recs, Blow up your skin with K Merch Rex. Find all of our social media and a link to our email so you can send us recommendations or feedback. And hey, while you're at it, why don't you pop over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review? It really helps with our discoverability. Gamsamnida. Okay, so now we're going to really get into talking about K-dramas with supernatural elements. So from nine-tailed foxes to grim reapers to mermaids, K-dramas have them all. Yes. So question for us now, what is a favorite non-contemporary K-drama or two and why? So I had three. I already talked about Hotel de Luna, so I'm going to skip that. But the next one I want to talk about is Color Rush, which is both a movie 
a TV series. I will say that the movie is probably the tighter storytelling. On one hand, it's a really great boys love drama. So BL, K-drama, the touches are intense, right? But they're not, it's not hanky-panky. It's like you're in the classroom and he leans over you and you're like, ah! right? It's like those moments are done super, super well and also super intense. And I really love it for that. And it's also a really cool supernatural element because the premise in Color Rush is that there are some people who walk through the world in monochrome. They're basically colorblind, but there are people in the world who are matched to them, who when that person is around them and comes into their line of sight, the world bursts into color. And once you start seeing color, there's a danger that you might get obsessive and have dangerous tendencies and potentially kill the person who gives color to your world because of the addictive quality of having color come into your world and then them leaving and you being left in, in grays again. And then wanting them to come back, being hungry for them to come back, and then not being able to stand for them not to be back. So there are instances where people like just completely become unhinged because of this situation. So it's a really cool supernatural element to work with in the in the base of storytelling. And there's a lot of metaphorical stuff that goes on when it comes to the experience of being queer. Like right down to reprogramming, the attempt to reprogramming and being like, no, you can't reprogram me. Like this isn't a psychological thing where I've convinced myself of a thing. This is a part of who I am, right? Like, so that aspect of Color Rush is also there. But I will say it's really well done from that delicious. And this is something that maybe Western audiences aren't as used to, but like the character who is really hard to read. And so he seems emotionless and he seems buttoned up, right? Like we're used to seeing a lot of emotion, even in the grumpy characters. But this character, like he doesn't give up the emotions. Like you almost have no idea what he's thinking about or what his emotional drivers are. And that's hard to see in TV. So they have one of those characters and then you have his match, who's also like a much more emotive, expressive guy. And they're a great foil against each other. And the chemistry between them could use work. But they really hit all of those precious moments, like those little brushes of the hand and the the leaning over you and like the close proximity step into the personal bubble space. Like so Color Rush is a great story for that. So I, I would say that's a favorite of mine for boys love right now. We did do a short podcast on Color Rush just for anyone listening. If you want to go back and um, listen to it, we all loved it as well. I would say it was an incredibly original premise. And I would have watched 12 episodes. Like, hands down, I was sad it was so short because I thought that there was so much unexplored that could have been explored. I loved the main characters. I thought it was beautiful. Like, the way the, the way the, it was shot and how the world would and turn color. The color would come into oh the my world. Gosh. Holy yeah, God, the really well done. color rush. Because that was like a thing where you would get a rush of color. I just thought it was beautiful. Like just yeah. visually. Cinematically, so, yeah, they I, were good choices. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I agree. Special nod to Grandpa Ghost, yeah. too. We don't want to leave out Grandpa Ghost. We love Grandpa Ghost. We love Grandpa yeah, Ghost. Grandpa the guy Ghost. who like... <laughs> It was just so right. We we laughed so hard because it was like random and never explained. It's just this guy that had a grandpa ghost in him. And he just does, like, and we're just supposed to. And you just we're accept just supposed it. To accept it. Yeah, you accept it. And that's again the supernatural okay. element aspect of it of why I it's one of my it. favorite supernaturals. Switch on is another one I want to give a shout out to because it's it's a Thai drama 
that was pretty well done. And it's fun because it, it plays with virtual reality. And in this case, your heroine and, and several other characters, like everybody's going into this virtual reality game. And for those of you who really like Japanese anime, it's a very similar premise to um, Sword Art Online in that way. Um, but people don't get stuck in there, right? Uh, so the heroine goes into this virtual reality and a lot of people play this game and and it's not originally designed for virtual reality yet. It's like um, test software and she's looking for her father and she meets the main hero character of the virtual reality world and he becomes self-aware and he become he starts to realize that she's leaving, she's logging in and out and he finds a way to log out and step into the real world. Ooh, that sounds fun. And actually manifest in the real world. Um, and it is a remake. There's a K-drama called W. Right, which I still haven't on. seen. And that, okay. like, and so these two are tied together in that fact. And, and, and so they're both okay. really interesting in this take of swinging across from the real world to the virtual, or manhwa, if it's W. And so that self-awareness that you're in a world that's been created by a real world that is out there is very is is really kind of a cool supernatural premise and it's kind of another one that's similar to that is the extraordinary you which i've talked to you about i would i would say the extraordinary you is fun because all the characters in there slowly become aware that they're actually characters in a manga right like there are characters in a book and they don't realize it and then and their funny thing is that they're forced to act out the scene that the writer has written oh and then in between scenes they can do whatever the heck they want they can go (laughs) off script right like so they're all going off script and trying to write their own face and then they get yoinked into a scene where they have to do what they're supposed to do for the writer for the book i didn't realize that was the premise of that that sounds so cool it's super cute and there's this sound that you hear it's like like it's like a clicker sound that shows that it's the start of a scene and end of a scene and here's the funny thing about extraordinary you right like so you watch this and you 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 watch the whole show and it's fun and then if you watch True Beauty, there's cameos of the actors in character ah! in True Beauty. <laughs> okay, so watch Extra- Extraordinary You first. And then watch okay, True Beauty. And, and it's like, it has nothing to do with the main storyline of True Beauty. These are just cameos. But there's literally a movie moment where you hear that sound and the heroine pops up and starts looking for the other guy because the scene's over and she's like what am i even doing here and she walks out and you're like if you don't know the extraordinary you you don't know why her behavior is like that right i made a note of that oh my gosh i didn't know that that's awesome so yeah that 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 trope of the real world versus this fictional world and being aware of whether or not you're a character in the book or if you're a per you're an actual person in the real world and I think that the Thai drama remake of it, Switch On, was really cute. It has um, this actress that I like from other dramas, and she's adorable, right? And she's fun, and she she really steps into the character type of, like, the quirky, fun, high-energy, slightly clumsy, but filled with, like, happy-energy character. And also, they do take opportunities throughout, as she's explaining to this guy, from this virtual world about things in Thai cultural, like the Lila Wadi, which is a type of flower, which people might be familiar if they go to Hawaii of plumeria or French penny, right? In Thailand, it used to have a different name. And that name was so close to a bad luck phrase that people wouldn't plant the flower or the trees actually that make the flowers 
um, in their gardens or near their homes because it was so close to a bad luck name. So it was actually a thing where they renamed the flower so that people could embrace the flower again. But it was like she she actually goes through and tells the character about this as they're walking through a, a tree-lined area. And she's like, I wish you could see these when they were in bloom because they're really gorgeous. Um, and then there's another spot where her father is explaining to a Westerner who happens to be a business partner about a scenario, a situation, and references a mythological reference between two bulls, a father bull and his son bull. And he tells the story and he's like, but because you're a Westerner and, and you, you didn't grow up in this culture, you're... You're not understanding the metaphor. You're not understanding the danger. You're not understanding the lesson that this folktale tells us. And he's right. The Westerner like completely dismisses him and the, the lesson. So that's why I like Switch On because it has like little moments of that that really kind of lean hard into Thai culture and help like play with that because I'm really into folktales and, and legends and folklore. And so that's a lot of fun that this is like a really contemporary modern thing. We're talking about virtual reality tech. But we're still learning about mythology and folklore. And we're also got a little bit of like these magical moments going on. So yeah, switch on is a lot of fun for that. And I, I love that. That sounds really cool. I'm like typing every, every time you mention something, I'm like opening. Yeah, me too. I, like, <laughs> too. I have a little like notepad here and I've written like the order to watch. Yeah, I've written Oh yeah, like stuff. True Beauty. That's awesome. like, you want to watch yep. The Extraordinary You first, then True Beauty. And the reason why that there's cameos is because the director is the same director. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, they came back for the drive. And I, lo- I love Easter eggs like that. Oh, yeah. Like, that's so fun. Me too. Yeah. Me too, me too. That's awesome. Well, I ha- I mean, I have to say that before I talk about mine, like, Piper, listening to you talk about Hotel Del Luna makes me want to go back to it because I started it and left it. But it wasn't because I didn't like it per se. I like a beta hero, but he was so, 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 so beta in the first few episodes that it just wasn't hitting me in the right spot. Um, at the time. And again, like when you go to watch a drama, it all depends on what drama you watch before and what you're kind of in the mood for. And I don't remember what I had watched before, but I just knew that I needed like, I needed something different yeah. in my romance at that point. And so now I definitely want to go back because everything you said just makes it sound so wonderful. I agree. Speaking of heavy, like my favorite, I mean, I'm a broken record on this podcast. It's Goblin. It's always going to be Goblin <sighs> as far as, yeah. as far as uh, Supernatural goes. Um, that, I mean... Yeah, it's tension. good. It's so good. But uh, can I just say, as much as the romance was epic, that bromance. Oh my gosh. That bromance between the goblin and the Amazing. reaper. Yes. Yeah. My, my favorite it's still, part. It's still one of my favorite programs out there. It's 100%. Hands down. Like, Ugh. absolutely. I love them together so much. It's wonderful. It is. So yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's my, that's my be all and end all and forever will be. <laughs> and... I will talk about it every time I'm asked about it. I do want to give an honorable mention to the King Eternal Monarch, because while I do have, and I've talked about this before, quibbles with the overall story, I loved the use of parallel worlds and the doppelgangers. Like, Jo Young and Unsub, like, talk about, like, bromance, and, like, one actor playing the whole bromance is, like, one of the best things I have ever seen. And Wudo Hwan is the actor. And, like, I cannot get over... Like, you know the whole time it's him playing both roles, but the two characters are so drastically different 
And I mean, this is very like small part of the story. Like they do, you know, cross over into each other's worlds and they do meet and it's hilarious and wonderful and it's a bromance and it's the best thing. So I do think like, yeah, like I said, I have, I have quibbles with the ending of the drama, but I do think the use of parallel worlds and doppelgangers was done really, really well for the story aspect of it. And the people who play the doppelgangers I thought was amazing. Yeah. And then all your, all your talk of the AI and the gaming stuff made me remember one that I forgot that we haven't done yet um, that Lee and I have seen, but Megan hasn't yet, and that's My Holo Love. Oh, yeah! Which was so fun and unexpected, and it was one of those that Leah's like, I'm just going to check this one out. It's on Netflix. It's only 12 episodes. And she's like, oh my gosh, I love this. And then I hopped on and started watching it with her, and we both absolutely loved it, and it was so much fun. And it's one of those, it's like, I think it's like a good sort of, I mean, there's some heavy-ish stuff in it, but I, I love, you know, the premise of it is... You know, this girl who has face blindness and can't, you know, she can't tell who people are, but she can see Holo when she's, you know, wearing the Holo glasses. And so that's, she becomes very connected to him, but he is, you know, his avatar is modeled after the guy who created him, who looks exactly like Mm -hmm. him. Um, and so it's this play of, you know, like, is she in love with the, with the holo? Is she in love with the real guy? And it's, yeah, it's a great story. And then there's also like, you know, some suspense and intrigue with it too. And, you know, attempted murder and all that fun stuff. Cause I found out watching K-dramas that I love a little murder with my romance. So yeah, I'm here for it. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So Tale of the Nine-Tailed still might be my favorite drama that's not contemporary with supernatural elements because of how absolutely batshit it was. But apparently batshit is one of my favorite tropes and I'm calling it a trope. I'm, I'm not even going to explain the premise of Tale of the Nine-Tailed because Don't. there really isn't a premise and what premise they start with, it doesn't end that way. They change halfway through. It's insane. I mean, just let, let's just say that fox demons run rampant. Fox demons run rampant. They do what they want. See, here's the thing. When I watch a K-drama with supernatural elements, I kind of do want it to be a little crazy and out there Mm -hmm. and show me something I haven't before. I mean, do I want it to also make sense? Yes. But Tale of the Nine-Tailed was still so freaking entertaining. And it delivered delivered on showing me things I haven't seen before in a new way. (laughs) Yep. From creepy kid ghost. Oh, the creepy kid ghost. Like, how do you even... How do you even extract yourself from that situation i don't know Ah. and like the weird like remember that like whole desert dimension yeah that one was like that was that was definitely like uh, and the hell knives and then the bridge hell knives the hell bridge with flying knives hands down one of the greatest (laughs) don't don't even don't even argue with me one of the greatest (laughs) scenes in k-drama I just loved it so much i mean lee dong in his wide leg linen pants crawling You have to listen to our pod or listeners if you haven't. Yeah, Tale of the Nine Town is is bajonkers. It's, it's true. It's, we did a whole podcast on it. We we had a little a, lo- a little bit to drink. That was when we really showed our true selves of this podcast, and it was <laughs> uh, the podcast itself off was the us. rails. But like that yeah. that ending again with the ambiguous happy ending, right? Yes, what so was ambiguous. It? I was just like, ah, oh. it was. Well, I guess I'll find out in season two. Yeah, because there's gonna be two. season two. So, and then I would, so, uh, you know, if you've listened to this podcast, you know that I'm, I'm the zombie one on, on the podcast. I freaking love zombie <laughs> <laughs> dramas. So I would say a close runner up for me is All of Us Are Dead, which um, is not funny. I have not <laughs> watched that for reasons I am not good at horror. It's, it's not batshit. It's 
absolutely fantastic, though. Um, it is a high school set zombie flick. And look, when I first saw the trailers, I thought it was just going to be like a zombie show with high schoolers. I didn't I didn't realize like the depth of the emotions and the relationships among all the characters. Um, I didn't realize that that was what was going to really grab me, which is one of the reasons I loved it so much. I also thought there was a kind of like a zombie high school villain, which I follow him on Instagram now because he (laughs) killed it as like this like evil zombie that was like half not zombie. I mean, it just... It's so good. Smarter than your average zombie. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, and also, which I think we'll cover this on the podcast at one point, but there were parallels to the drama um, with the very real uh, Seawolf fairy disaster. And once I read about those parallels, I realized like what, how, like kind of how an amazing job they did with All of Us Are Dead and how in a way they kind of gave voice to a lot of those, um, high school students on the ferry who were basically abandoned to no one was there to help them and, and rescue them. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, there were a lot of layers to that drama and the cast's acting was incredible. And the actual like zombie lore, just like in happiness, happiness had really cool zombie lore that was unique. This did too. So uh, yeah, all of us are dead. I, I mean, I know it's not for everyone, um, I think you have I to... I do still want to watch it. I just... Yeah, it's. I, I wouldn't it say yet. it's for everyone, and that's okay. I would say, for me, it was absolutely everything that I personally want in a zombie kind of, like, flick drama, mm-hmm. or flick or a drama. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was just freaking awesome. Wow. All right, so on the lighter side, as a K-pop wreck, have you watched twice, it's ooh-ah, the video? No. All right. So if you just listen to the music, it's a very cute boppy song. It's a catchy okay. boppy song. But if you watch the video, it's a high school zombie video where you have a bunch of girls who are just all dressed up in different um, character types of, of high school kids. And they're all doing the song and performing the song and cute, cute. But it's in the middle of a zombie apocalypse. So there's zombies <laughs> like trying to like wander through the school and around them. And then they pull up in a bus and they're completely surrounded by zombies. And I won't spoil it, but stick around after the song's finished and watch the end. Okay, I will. Thank you. Because I'm, I'm always down. I'm always down for zombies. It's a very cute zombie video, and it's a very upbeat one. Okay. So, Piper, what elements of supernatural K-dramas have inspired you when you write, uh, like, paranormal romance or any type of non-contemporary romance? So, I actually have a new series that's launching in April of 2023. Um, it was going to launch this year. And it got pushed due to printer production, et cetera, et cetera, right? So it's coming out April 2023. The series name is Myth Woven. And the first book actually features Tai Kinari, or Bird Princess, uh, meeting a vampire. And I also incorporate a lot of other mythological supernatural creatures. And it's urban fantasy, basically, or contemporary fantasy romance story. But we meet, at the end of that book, into book two, a pair of fox demons, because I'm really, really fond of Kitsune from Japanese mythology, and I'm also fascinated by the Korean Kumiho. They're both fox demons. They're both could be nine-tailed foxes. And a lot, I think that the biggest difference in the mythology for them is that the Korean Kumiho, a lot more bloodthirsty, like they're both shape-shifting capable and um, they're elements of mischief. They're like chaos elements. But the Kumiho is known for being bloodthirsty and eating 
the liver of his victims. But they also have, um, I'm going to say it wrong, a yewo gusul or a fox bead. And you see it explained a, a very tiny bit in Tale of the Nine Tailed, but you really see. I was like, I was like, please explain it more yeah, because I don't it's actually, get it. <laughs> it's actually conceptualized much more beautifully in My Roommate is a Gumiho. If you're willing to watch that. I did watch that. All right. So I was a little confused. (laughs) It's a tiny bead. It's a mystical bead that comes out of your kumio and goes into a human. And it's supposed to be able to carry knowledge. And the amount of time that the human takes it, they can gather knowledge or skills from the bead. But the bead's also potentially taking away a life force that is given to the kumio. And so too often in mythology that talks about it from what i understand is that humans aren't wise enough to keep the bead long enough to gain all of the knowledge there is to be had and so they always give it back too soon and miss out on a key piece of knowledge that they would have benefited from and and this is at a very high level when it comes to that mythology but i will say that my room is gumiho really makes it beautiful the way that the the bead goes from the kumiho to his uh, chosen partner and how he it's gets back. It's a great scene. Very, yeah. very high. Like, is this going to be a kiss? Is this a kiss moment? Is this a kiss? Yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> it's very cool. I like that. I like that drama a lot. Yeah. I, I really, I think that I liked it for the lighter rom-com elements. Oh, yeah. It was totally. a much sweeter romance. And Nine-Tailed was a lot of angstier, I think. Nine-Tailed yeah. was angstier than than My Roommate is Gumiho. It was, my Roommate is Gumiho had angst, but it was also sweeter. Yeah, well, the heroine was fantastic. Yeah. I loved her. Oh, yeah. So she was so funny. I mean, she was basically, like, it was Duck, you know, she basically played Duck Sun from 1980, replied 1988, but, like, in modern day times with a Gumio roommate. I mean, <laughs> she was so great. So, yeah, I, I agree. That was a really good drama. Okay, question for all of us. So what do we want to see more of in supernatural K-dramas, whether it's, like, a type of paranormal being or a trope? I really love the trope of, like, your grumpy character grumpy ex sunshine combos right like so i want to see more of that and i think that there's a huge amount of potential for that when you have a long-lived being who's completely jaded right or just convinced that they don't deserve a happily ever after like they're just doomed to walk this world in this existence i am here for more stories like that where they do get a happily ever after and even though i loved hotel de luna and goblin like, and my roommate is a Kumiho, even. And Tale of the Nine Hailed. All of those endings were ambiguous, right? Like, there was, maybe there was happiness here, but you, you sacrificed something over here that ripped your heart out. And there were very heavy doses of bitter with that sweet. Like, people who eat 80% dark chocolate are going to like those endings, right? <laughs> like, it's tough. You like your drama's bitter. <laughs> I would... Like, yeah, I'm here for that. Like, give me, let Kim Shin have his happily ever after without having to, man, that was, I, it was rough, but I will watch it over and over again. Like, I can't help it. I can't help myself. But I think I, I also want, like, I found this out. I know that they are out there because I found it out with my desire to see Lee Joongi as a vampire and found out that he is in a historical where he is a vampire. So I'm going to watch that. But I'd like to see some contemporary, like, vampire dramas. I think that that would be a lot of fun and very, very different. Yeah, um, I want more vampires. Like, just, I just, I want more. Like, I I know that there are some out there and that's great, but I want, like, more. I want, like, a mainstream, like, 
roll, you know, I want like, I don't know, bring out one of the the main leads, like Wuda Wan as a vampire. Are you kidding oh, yeah. me? Yeah. Um, and I want it like a, like a, you know, I, I don't, this is the thing though. I don't know if vampires are in Asian or Korean lore as much as in Western media. Like that's the only thing. Am I imposing my <laughs> like lore on them? Does that make sense? Cause I just, right, I just don't right. know. You know, it's just like, obviously we don't have like the Fox demons as much in Western media, but I just really, I just want to see more vampires and I want like paranormal, meaning I want like contemporary setting with, with, with vampires. Like my roommate is a vampire. <laughs> like, me, I know that there are that. web comics. Like, I Let's know that there it. are webcomics, because I've been reading some of those. Okay, I have a manga that's called Midnight Secretary, and it is very good, very sexy, um, and I like it a lot, but yeah, he, like, he's, he's a vampire. It's like, and she's his secretary, and she does it, and he's like, he's like thirsting for her blood. Oh my god, it's so good, it's so good. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's like I said, it's really sexy. So I, that's, I mean, listen, K-drama creators, take that manga and do something. It's there, right? Like, when we were talking about, I don't remember which episode it was a couple episodes ago when I was like, I want to see Lee Joon-gi as a vampire, but I'm going to research it really quick first and just make sure that it doesn't exist. It's not going to, it's not going to exist. And it exists. So, like, it is there. Like, it's not, you know, even though it might not be as prevalent as zombies or, you know, fox fox demons, that it's there. So, we're just asking for more. Yeah, because, like, no one does zombies, I swear, like, Korean. Oh, gosh. I mean, they do it so well. Train to Busan. Train to Busan is still one of my favorite movies of all time. I like. I it's... haven't watched it. I've watched clips of it. I can't handle. I, I can't. Okay, handle well, I'll just let you know. All of us are dead. Is like watching however many episodes all of us are dead are twelve. Is, I forget. Train to Busan. It's like, like watching Train times. to Busan the whole time. Ah! Like I'm serious. It is. Train it, to Busan is a zombie movie where I cried. I cried in a zombie movie. It's and that's why I tell people I'm like if you don't like zombies, like I try to give people expectations. I have zombie like, stories. Like like my my London Shifters story, like my London Shifters series, I re-released it last year and it's it is werewolves protecting humans from zombies at ground zero of the zombie apocalypse. Like I write zombies. Right. I just it's different. I don't write horror, right? Right. I write I wrote a whole series under Megan Erickson that so first of all, they're they're gay werewolves, okay? Mm-hmm. So it's a whole it's a it's a male male series, and it's <laughs> the zombies are werewolves, and humans are now extinct. So there are werewolf packs that are like not zombies, and so they're like kind of they've kind of like you know regrouped into their separate packs, mm-hmm. but they have to kind of like live behind fortified walls. To pr- it's it's sort of like the, what I say it's it's the Walking Dead but with werewolves, and they're male male. Why not? Females, right? right? And but it I doesn't mean, go on. And it doesn't go on too long. No, I only have three books out. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, I I'm I'm always down um, for zombies. So anyway, so Piper, is there anything else you'd like to discuss? Let's talk about what we're looking forward to because there's some stuff, some some a new supernatural K drama, especially as many times as we have mentioned Goblin. There's a new supernatural K drama coming out called Tomorrow, and that's really piqued my interest because. They took the concept of Reapers from Goblin, and instead of the Reapers collecting the dead and sending them on to the afterlife, this is a almost a, uh, a crisis response group dedicated to helping people who want to end their lives. So major trigger warning, obviously, for those who are, are, are um, trying to avoid watching anything that has intrusive or suicidal thoughts. 
Um, but the premise of this is that these are this is a crisis response group of reapers, supernatural beings who are coming to tell to help people not end their lives prematurely. My interest is piqued because it is a group cast of reapers, and I'm interested to see how they're going to work this out. Um, and then there's also another one that isn't supernatural, but is based off of a webcomic that I was reading earlier. And it's a, like a cute, a cute, like contemporary romance rom-com kind of situation that's called The Business Proposal. And it's based on a webcomic that is called The Office Blind Date. The, the Tomorrow one, I'm, of course, like, like I said, every time you mention something, I'm Googling it. Like, I want that now. And it starts April 1st, which by the time this podcast is out it will have started already so dun, dun, dun. that's awesome so everybody go watch tomorrow because we're probably going to be watching it and we are we're all watching business proposal right now because <laughs> it's so good um but like you said earlier like watching something while it's you know while the episodes are coming out for megan it's been really really hard because you started it like right when it started and i had to finish up we did mr sunshine was our last podcast and i had to finish watching mr sunshine before i could start watching business proposal so i'm not yet caught up to all the episodes, so I'm still having fun binging. It's smart, because Megan, now you have to wait until Monday. Yeah, I am obsessed with Business Proposal. It's basically like a perfect rom-com. That's ba- that's, it's just, it has all the tropes you want in a rom-com. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's happy. Someone on Twitter called it like a fluffy ice cream sundae. Perfect. Perfect description. Oh. Like, do you know what I'm saying? It's just like, it's like happy making... It does the best friend thing so well. The best friends are so cute. And it's only 12 episodes, so, like, the writing is very tight. And you you can tell. Like, you can – like, I can see how it's been written to fit over 12 episodes. And it's, like, perfect. Like, I'm glad they didn't make it longer. It's – as much as I'm going to be really sad when it's over, I'm happy because it clearly was written, like, just really well. Yeah. Basically. Um, And actually, I didn't think – I knew what tomorrow was, but now I I have seen the trailer mm-hmm. and it the, agreed. It looks amazing. I am very excited for it, and yeah, it starts uh, uh, April first. I will. I might watch it live. We'll see. <laughs> I'm waiting because I, I plan to wait. I, I, can't. I know it's, it's well. Where really is hard. it dropping? Where is it, like? Is it going to simulcast on Vicky or is it dropping all at once or is it dropping weekly? It's going to air on, no, I don't think it's on Netflix. So I think it's so dropping it's on simu- Vicky. It'll simulcast on Vicky. Yeah. And it, it airs on Fridays and Saturdays. So. Okay. So no, it's That is the one thing that I really like about K-dramas too, is that they, they do Fridays and Saturdays. So you at least get two, two episodes week. per week. Yeah. But it's still yeah, torture. It is. <laughs> so next week we'll get the end of Business Proposal and 2521, which I'm also watching live, which uh. again, well, I'm crazy. But, um, but I'm excited for a bunch of stuff that's coming up. P.S. Yes, when you get when business proposal is done, we highly recommend it. We'll be covering it on the the podcast too because we know a lot, bunch of our listeners are watching it live as well and they're suffering along with us. <laughs> but by the time this airs, it'll be over and we'll all be happy. Okay, so there you go. Okay, so first of all, we want to say thank you to Piper for coming. Thank you for having me. This thank has been you. fun, very fun, and we'd like you to. We usually recommend a book at the end of our podcast mm-hmm. so we'd like to like you to recommend any of your books whichever one you want oh gosh i think because of what we've been talking about because i do write across a lot of different genres i have a science fiction romance out on kindle vela right now um that is almost finished it is a male male female uh poly and oh, i'll read that it is science fiction romance and it is basically an intergalactic k-pop idol who is burned out 
and is hiding away to get some much-needed rest and relaxation, and his management team has hired two bodyguards for him. A grumpy, grumpy, grumpy werewolf shapeshifter, uh, and a rakish station engineer, who is also a lycanthrope. He, he's actually a cat shifter, to be his bodyguards while he's um, hiding away on this, in the middle of nowhere, nobody stays at this station unless they're on their way to somewhat place else space station and i will tell this podcast that the character who's the intergalactic idol really has some strong jimin from bts vibes <laughs> yes all leo will be will so happy that. oh my god really really yeah. like and and all of the this is the first in a potential series uh once i finish it on kendall vela i will be taking it off and pushing it out wide, right? So it won't just be on Kinovella once once it's finished on Kinovella, I'll let it stay there for a month or two so that people who are following on Kinovella have time to finish and read it and then I will be pulling it and pushing it wide. So it'll be available everywhere, but it is intended to be the first of the series and the series is all of the titles are inspired by a particular K-pop song. So this title of this book is An Idol with Love. Oh, I love it! Uh, for the BTS ARMY friends. And the next, like, some of the other titles are going to be Don't. And if anybody's a follower of Mamamoo and loves the song that she did jointly with Hwasa and Loco, dang, that song. And then there's also You Can Call Me Monster for the EXO <laughs> fans. So, yeah, the titles are inspired by K-pop songs and really try, I try to capture the vibe of the song in the story. That's awesome. And this is under Piper J. Drake. This is, this like is under different... Piper J. Drake. And it's my first poly romance that I've written personally. Um, uh-huh. So I've been really careful about how I approach this. And I'm, I'm hoping people enjoy it. Sounds great. I, I want to read it. And I can't, I can't wait. And when, it's, when it is available for like full purchase, I'll buy it too. Because it sounds really awesome. Thank you. So yeah. Well, again, thanks for, for joining us. Thank uh, you so much. Thank you for yeah. having me again. This like, was I'm really a lot of again. fun. <laughs> it's like, this was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun and I would love to come back to chat with you once you do True Beauty and Extraordinary You. Cause oh okay. my gosh, we need to. Yeah, yeah I think we need to for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Well, just, you know, we say Anyang at the end. That's how we like say goodbye. So, <laughs> so we say, all right, everybody till next time. Anyang. Anyang. Kamsamnida. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Afternoon of Delight. Where can you find us outside the pod? Head on over to afternoonadelight.com. That's A-F-T-E-R-N-O-O-N-A-D-E-L-I-G-H-T dot com. You'll find links to all our social media, our book recs, K-pop and K-skincare recs, and if you want even more Afternoon of Delight, because really who doesn't, you can join our Patreon, where you can choose the patron level that's right for you. Join in daily K-drama conversations, listen to bonus podcast episodes just for patrons, and participate in our monthly live K-drama support group via Zoom. We can't wait for you to be a part of the community. Until next time, Annyeong!